Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. This is Community Update on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Good morning, I'm John Hoffman. A warning this week to families that use Abbott baby formula. Abbott voluntarily recalled three of their infant powdered formulas after four consumer complaints of salmonella. This affects many families, including those on WIC programs who must use certain formulas. Similac, Alimentum, and Elecare produced out of this facility are on the recall list. This comes at a very difficult time where supply chain shortages are still impacting the availability of formulas for families. Similac, Alimentum, and Elecare produced in Abbott Sturgis, Michigan facility with an expiration date of April 1, 2022 or later are now recalled. Abbott Nutrition said, quote, we value the trust parents place in us for high quality and safe nutrition and will do whatever it takes to keep that trust and resolve this situation. An Abbott representative told WSPT that this is still an ongoing investigation. No salmonella has been detected, but there was a bacteria found around non-product contact areas. This comes at a very difficult time. Baby formulas have also been impacted by the supply chain shortage. Also, too, the other problem we've been seeing with all of this, due to all the supply chain issues that have been happening, that formula in general is can be in um, limited supply in the grocery store. So this actually caused even you know, more of a hardship for people to find formulas when this happened. Abbott is now increasing production at an FDA-approved facility to meet demand for baby formula made more acute by the recall and shortage. In Michigan, Abbott is one of the main formulas used by families on the Women, Infants, and Children, or WIC program. In our agency, it's the most, the recalled formulas are the most widely used formulas among our infants. So it is impacting the majority of our infants. Um, over a thousand was the last number in our region at our agency. For Indiana, Abbott is not one of the main formulas, but families are still being affected. It's approximately 34 families that were affected. So not very many compared to the whole WIC population that we serve. But for families that this is their only form of feeding their baby, that is a big problem. Contact your pediatrician for recommendations on substitute formulas. And if you have any further questions on the Abbott formula recalls, you can visit their website. WSBT 22's Ashley Dagger reporting. The term critical race theory has become a lightning rod for parents, educators, and scholars. Bills intended to prevent teaching CRT have spread across the nation, many attempting to target concepts they think are part of the curriculum. Until recently, CRT was a term that was mainly confined to legal scholars, unfamiliar to most. The framework dates to the late 1970s, but in the past year, it's come to the forefront of public school curriculum. Experts say that it's become a catch-all term synonymous with teaching history. Critical race theory. The founders define it as looking at the role of race and how it's influenced modern-day institutions. It also pulls concepts from sociologists and literary analysts. But parents, educators, and scholars have their own definition of CRT. The study of how the, 
the laws that we have are interpreted to typically, they work in favor of for people that are not of color. I took this idea that race was interwoven through the fabric of everything in America, so you could use that as a lens to examine anything. It's also a study of the role that race has played in shaping the institutions and structures of American society. Critics argue CRT teaches white students to feel ashamed of the past, no matter how far removed, and that it teaches students of color to blame their white peers for a role in creating these systems. Those who support CRT say that the criticism isn't necessarily correct and believe there's a way to balance the truths of America's history without being unpatriotic. I don't know, again, how you could examine those important historical movements and not have conversations about race. I think where, again, the confusion comes is race versus racism. An example of a CRT topic is redlining, the term used to describe when banks refuse to offer mortgages to black people who are viewed as high-risk investments. K-12 students might learn about redlining, but South Bend School's parent Lori Camp says teachers aren't diving into the discourse that would make it CRT. As a parent, I would laugh if anyone said, even my daughter in high school is being taught CRT because they're not, because they just, they don't have the foundation to even understand what it is. Schools in the area responded the theory isn't a part of their curriculum, nor a part of Indiana's academic standards. South Bend School's chief academic officer wrote, we do not teach CRT in our classrooms because it is actually a sociological theory that is taught in college level classes. We directly teach subjects that deal with racism, such as slavery and the civil rights movement. The superintendent for Concord Community Schools said, quote, Concord recognizes and embraces the diversity within our community, and we believe this diversity is core to our strength as a community and school district. We have received questions regarding whether or not we teach critical race theory. The answer is a simple no. I don't know if critical race theory per se is appropriate, you know, as this kind of very sophisticated legal enterprise and methodology. But I do think it's critical and absolutely critical that K through 12 um, education curriculum incorporates race as part of what kids are learning. Indiana history books are not facing a curriculum overhaul with CRT, but public educators face a challenge when students ask the question why when studying historical events like voting rights and protesting the police. We have to acknowledge that, oops, we had the wrong viewpoint that slavery was okay. We've moved past that. Um, we know redlining is bad. Um, we have to move past that, but you have to acknowledge it and people have to be aware of it. Five states have bills that specifically ban the teaching of critical race theory. In Indiana, a CRT-inspired bill is currently being debated in the state house, but that bill does not specifically mention critical race theory. WSBT 22's Paige Barnes reporting. Questions are being raised after updated guidance has been issued for development of young children. The American Academy of Pediatrics and the Centers for Disease Control have updated milestones for kids who are learning to walk and talk. It's the first update in almost 20 years. It's part of the CDC's Learn the Signs Act Early campaign. But a checklist that's supposed to make it easier to screen kids for delays is raising questions from a local expert. The first major changes in almost a decade added checklists for kids ages 15 and 30 months. They now advise 75% of all kids should meet these milestones instead of 50%. According to the new guidance, some milestones changed as well. 
Now, talking should happen at 15 months instead of 12 months based on the last update. Babies taking steps on their own has moved to 15 months from 12 months. And crawling was previously considered a milestone at nine months, but now is not mentioned. The SLP world was up in arms um, the other day when these recommendations were released. Speech-language pathologist Danielle Newcomb says these new guidelines raise a lot of questions. But if you look at different guidelines and different milestones, again, the question just is, where's that research and can we find that research and do we since the guidance was updated, Newcomb says she hasn't found any major research to back up these changes. She's concerned that moving some of the milestones later could make early identification of problems harder. That age of acquisition shifting later might result in, uh, in it being more difficult for us to identify these kids earlier and get them the services that they need earlier. Newcomb stresses that you know better than anyone else if your child is behind and says that early intervention is key. Have dialogue with your pediatrician um, so that you can, if there are concerns and there is thing that warrants services, we can get that child in sooner rather than later. So trust your gut. The American Speech Language Hearing Association released a statement today expressing concern to the CDC. It says it'll be conducting a review to make sure those milestones are evidence-based. WSBT 22's Erica Finke reporting. A heated debate this past week over a project to help homeless veterans. Mishawaka leaders heard from neighbors and organizers of the proposed Troop Town. The Tiny Homes Project is now considering returning to its original planned location across Jefferson next to the VFW. That was actually the original plan when this all began, but that was too costly due to demolition costs, so they chose property across the street. Neighbors and organizers of the proposed Troop Town project in Mishawaka at odds tonight. Well, see, you're you're getting upset about it, but we don't upset. we don't know Excuse this. Excuse me, guys. If we could just as I go back to my original comment, if we could just yes. Mary Sisti lives on the north side of Jefferson Boulevard, across from the VFW. It's where Troop Town was considering building since it was less expensive to develop. Since she and other neighbors have first voiced their concerns, Troop Town is considering going back across the street to its original location. But that's upsetting neighbors on the south side of the street. See for the long term. And if we're going to see Mishawaka Troop Town succeed for the long term, we're going to need the support of the community, local government, state government, and federal government. In order for us to get that support, we're going to need to bring members and guests to come stay at Troop Town who are motivated to succeed. John Ledoux, a member of Troop Town, tried to address neighbors' concerns about the potential move. It seems to me like the main concern is what kind of people are we going to have living over here if this is successful? And I think on that point, uh, all of our interests are aligned. Ledoux says his team is continuously trying to convince residents that their program is structured. As they develop the framework, Troop Town has outlined how they'll vet their residents, rules and bylaws, and how they'll enforce evictions. And there's concern about who are these people? Are they going to cause us trouble? Is it going to be a problem? It would make no sense for us as board members to select people who are going to be a problem. No decisions were made at tonight's meeting. The Common Council is expected to decide next month if Troop Town should go back to its original location that's already been zoned or consider rezoning the land on the north side of Jefferson. WSBT 22's Paige Barnes reporting. More than 450 people took steps literally last weekend to raise awareness about poverty in South Bend. St. Margaret's House wants to share the struggle of nearly 80% of their guests. 
who, regardless of the weather conditions, have to walk to receive a hot meal or life-changing support. Safe Migrant House is a place for people that have no house or no money or no food. They come here to get some. The community stepping up to support the immediate needs of women and children struggling under tough circumstances. Last year's walk was virtual and gained national attention. However, this year's 23rd annual walk was a return to the roots of the movement. We needed to, retu to return to the in-person walk for the sense of local community, um, but we also maintained the, the virtual portion of it um, because it was so successful last year and because it's a way for people elsewhere to stay connected with us. The community walking a mile to get a feel for the toll that poverty impacts simple everyday aspects of women and children's lives. Many had signs and some had a deep personal connection with the event. Carrie Cobb walked to the event for eight years with her mom. She passed away in a car accident last August, so today we're honoring her with our walk. So. A way to continue the legacy on a cause that was important to her mom. She appreciated the way they helped kids, helped their mothers, helped other women. Um, it was just something that warmed her heart and she's love to see the community coming together. Organizers hope the event will also encourage newer participants to make this a yearly tradition. About how far do you think you walk today? Like one and a half fifty. Today's event alone raised more than $67,000 for St. Margaret's House. They still need to tally how much they received from the virtual walk, which started last Sunday. WSVT 22's Ronnie Doss reporting. The U.S. Coast Guard is weighing in on the dangers of Lake Michigan in the winter. They say shelf ice makes it very difficult to see where the shore starts and where it ends. Those sandy hills behind me are very, very dangerous in the winter. It's basically snow and ice built up over time, creating a very unstable and unpredictable uh, piece of ice. Lake Michigan is beautiful even in the colder months, but there's still danger rushing below the surface of the ice. Dave Benjamin with the Great Lakes Surf Rescue Project says the ice could be thick in one area and thin in another. There are holes that form in the shelf ice from the current splashing underneath. It's unpredictable, which is why Benjamin says people shouldn't be climbing on it. So people have this natural tendency is, I see a hill, I want to go climb it. But when they get to the top of that hill, that's the most fragile point. And if they were to fall through there, um, they may be three or four feet from the peak of it. Then they can't climb out. Yeah, they have about one hour of consciousness once a person hits icy water. If someone falls through the ice, U.S. Coast Guard Petty Officer Philip Bradley says it's a race against time. Bradley says it's more difficult to save someone when ice is involved, like last night's search at Indiana Dunes National Park. We can do summer rescues within five minutes, whereas... Last night it was 40 minutes just to get on scene and then we were there for another three hours. Not knowing where the shore starts and ends is why Janie Rackliff with the Great Lakes Water Safety Consortium says it's best to observe at a safe distance because shock can set in and waves can pull someone under quickly. You know, hypothermia can set in very quickly. A lot of people drown just from the shock. You know, if you fall in and you get that cold water, um, uh, it, it's just, it's, there's this gasp reflex. You can drown very, very quickly. If you're trying to go to the beach in the winter, experts say to wear a life preserver and bright colored clothing. And if someone you know falls into the water or falls through the ice, call 911 immediately. And if you're able to get them out, make sure you help them take off the wet clothes and wrap them in a blanket and take them to the hospital. WSBT 22's Erica Finke reporting.
Views and opinions expressed are those of the individual speaking and do not necessarily reflect the views of WSBT Radio, its staff, or management. Join us next week for Community Update on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 